From the Anchorage Daily News, this is ADN Politics, a podcast navigating Alaska's changing and sometimes wild political landscape. I'm your host, Elizabeth Harbaugh. After months of campaigning, lots of national attention, and more than a few surprises, on Tuesday, Alaskans went to the polls. The election was historic and unusual for a number of reasons. There was the race to replace the late Don Young in Congress, but just for the last few months of his term. There were primary races where candidates from any and all political parties were side by side on the ballot. The election is also a test on whether a Republican senator who voted to impeach former President Trump can still win. And it was our first time trying out the new ranked choice voting system. Results are still being counted, but once they firm up, they'll shape what happens between now and November, determining who Alaskans will send to the U.S. House, the U.S. Senate, the governor's mansion, and 59 of the 60 seats in the legislature. It's a lot to unpack. And with me to help make sense of what happened and what's ahead is ADN political reporter Iris Samuels. Iris, thanks so much for being here after a long night of coverage. Thanks for having me. Okay, I want to break this conversation into two parts because basically there were two elections yesterday. There was the special House race where voters ranked Sarah Palin, Nick Begich, and Mary Piltola, and maybe a writing candidate to serve out the last few months of Don Young's term. And then there was the primary election for the Senate, the House, the governor, and legislative races, the so-called pick one primary. So let's start with the special House race. Um, We're recording the day after Election Day, and we have early results, but we really won't know who won for a few weeks. Why is that? So this is Alaska's first ranked choice election, which means people went to the polls and they saw three candidates on the ballot and they didn't just pick one. They could pick their favorite, but then they could also say who their second choice was and who their third choice was. And maybe if they chose a writing candidate, who their fourth choice was. So what we know so far is just of the ballots counted who people's top choice was. But in order to know who the winner is, we really have to know how people ranked the rest of their ballots. So what will happen in the next two weeks is the Division of Elections will continue to count ballots as they come in, those mail-in ballots, those ballots that come in from overseas. And then once all ballots are counted, they will say, do we have a candidate that has crossed the 50% plus one threshold needed to win in a ranked choice election? That is not likely to happen in this case, which means the candidate that got the least number of votes will be eliminated. And then they'll have to look at the people that supported that candidate and say, did any of those people rank the other candidates in the race? And only then will we know who the winner is. Got it. So definitely hang tight is a big message here. Uh, you had three big names to watch there, Republicans Sarah Palin and Nick Begich III, and then Democrat Mary Piltola. So how are the results looking for each of them so far? Because there's only one Democrat in the race, we expected her to outperform the two Republicans, and that is what happened. Mary Peltola has the largest share of first place votes. Next is Sarah Palin, and after her is Nick Begich. Based upon what we know right now, does anyone know who is going to win? I think at this point, it's really hard to tell, and the race will not be called until all those ballots are counted. And there's a scenario for any one of these three candidates to take the win. Let's talk through those scenarios then. What is Mary Peltola's path to victory? 
Mary Peltola right now has the largest share of first place votes. If this wasn't a ranked choice election, she would win. So the question is now, once that third place candidate is eliminated, how many of those votes will then be redistributed to the other candidates in the race? If a large share of voters don't rank their ballots, say they only liked one candidate in the race, then that means that Mary Peltola could emerge in the lead. Turning to Sarah Palin, does she have a path to victory? Yes, she definitely does. So her path to victory is, say, Nick Begich remains in the last place. He is eliminated. And then the question becomes, how many of the people that supported Begich then went ahead and ranked Palin second? If enough of Begich's supporters then went ahead and voted for Palin second, then she could emerge the winner here. So what about Nick Begich? Could he win at all at this point in the special primary? Begich's path is definitely the most unlikely at this point. He's trailing behind Palin, and he would have to make up quite significant ground at this point in order to win. So it's probably not likely, but again, the margins here are so slim that it would be not a good idea to write anyone off at this point. I see. So let's turn a little bit to the dynamics in that race. Um, Back in 2020, during the ballot measure campaign, when Alaska voters were asked to approve this new election system, one of the things people argued was that the changes would cut down on negative campaigning. Did they? Not really. The campaign got pretty negative between Palin and Begich. Begich started by pointing out that Palin quit as governor in 2009 and has since really just been a celebrity and hasn't run for any public office. Palin responded by calling Begich a rhino or so-called Republican in name only and attacking him for supporting Democrats in the past. Begich comes from a family of prominent Democrats. So the Republicans went negative on each other. What about their attitude towards Mary Peltola? Um, How do they approach campaigning against her? Very differently. So Peltola is known as an extremely nice person. People across the political spectrum can acknowledge that she is someone who is earnest and just very straightforward. And she really has not been the target of negative campaigning. And she herself has not attacked any of the other candidates in the race. Do you see that shifting going forward, potentially? Well, now that Peltola is in the lead, she really has a target on her back. I don't see her shifting her own campaign tactics, but it really becomes a question of how do the other candidates in the race talk about her and her chances. Speaking of going on the attack, Palin has also attacked ranked choice voting itself. She's frequently criticized it, as did former President Trump, who has endorsed her. Uh, What does she say her reasons are for going after this new system? Palin has been on the attack against ranked choice voting for a couple weeks now, talking very publicly about how she sees this system as disenfranchising voters and suppressing the vote. She thinks that it's too complicated and that by virtue of being complicated, it means that people are less likely to vote and she seems to think that it works against her even though potentially it might work for her in this case? Yeah, that's sort of an interesting facet here where she has attacked this system as one that works against her, but really she might emerge the winner. So shifting gears slightly, there are actually two House races happening. 
Uh, just back up and tell us what's going on there. Yeah. So the special U.S. House race, the reason that's going on right now is because Representative Don Young died in March after 49 years in office. And we have to elect the next Congress member that will fill out the last four months of the term that Young formerly held. And then we have the regular November election that will determine who the next Congress member is that will begin serving in January. So also on the same ballot, in case things weren't confusing enough, there was a regular U.S. House election. Uh, What were the results of that and how does that play out going forward? So there were 22 candidates in the primary ballot. The four candidates that will advance to the November election are Mary Peltola. She was in first place with ballots counted so far. Next is Palin. In third place is Begich. And then in fourth place is Republican Tara Sweeney. Okay, let's set the House aside for now and let's look at the Senate race. Republican Senator Lisa Murkowski, who voted to impeach Trump, is trying to fend off Kelly Shabaka, who's her Trump-backed challenger from the right. So based on the numbers we have so far there in that race, how are things looking for those candidates? Murkowski had a good night yesterday. Despite Trump weighing in on this election in favor of Shabaka, Murkowski is ahead. And that really says something about Murkowski's chances of prevailing in November. What are the Murkowski and Shabaka campaigns saying about the results so far? Before the results came in, Shabaka said earlier this week that if she emerged ahead of Murkowski, she would see that as significant for the nation. So she was really counting on maybe a stronger showing yesterday. So once the results were in, she said that she still saw this as an encouraging result, given the fact that she is going against a 20-year incumbent. Murkowski said this is a strong showing for her, even as Trump has weighed in on this race and she has faced attacks from the Shabaka campaign. She emerged ahead, and that really puts her, again, in a strong position moving into the general. So the Senate race has drawn a ton of national attention, and there's been a lot of comparisons between Murkowski and Republican Congresswoman Liz Cheney who was primaried and she lost her seat on Tuesday after going after Trump for his role in January 6th and his false claims about the election result. So what's the takeaway there for Murkowski? There are a lot of ways to draw comparisons between Cheney and Murkowski. They're both members of prominent Republican families in their respective states, and they are both Republicans that have not been shy about going against former President Trump. But what we see here is... Alaska's new ranked choice voting system working in Murkowski's advantage, even as Cheney lost pretty definitively. So we have to talk about the fourth place finisher in the Senate race, who is also going to be on the ballot in November. He is a candidate a lot of us, I would go so far as to say most of us have never heard of, a guy named Buzz Kelly. How did he end up in the fourth place? Yeah, that's an open question. And we've been wondering for a while who will be in that fourth place position. We knew that the top three positions would be Murkowski, Shabaka, and Democrat Pat Chesbrough. Uh, But we really didn't know who that fourth place would be. And Buzz Kelly, I'll be honest, wasn't even on my radar. He is a hard right Republican. And 
And yesterday, Kelly Shibaka said that she thinks that people voted for him because her campaign slogan is Kelly for Alaska and Buzz Kelly's last name. Well, if you're a low information voter and you're going to the polls, you see Kelly and you think maybe this is my candidate. So can you say a little bit more about what we know about Buzz Kelly? I know it's been pretty hard for reporters to get a hold of him, maybe even impossible from what I know. Yeah, he does not have a listed phone number. His email address, he has not responded to emails to the one that's listed on the Division of Elections website. So I have not been able to get in touch with him. I do know that he, again, holds pretty conservative, right-leaning views. He has a website where he lists his views with um, surprising specificity. So there is information there out there about him. Uh, he's someone who has lived in Alaska for a long time. He resides in Wasilla, and we will be endeavoring to find out more about him because one thing is certain, if this is the person who ends up on the ballot, he could change the calculus of a ranked choice election just by virtue of the fact that he will likely be the first candidate to be eliminated. So it really becomes a question of Will voters who support Buzz Kelly rank another candidate second, and who will that person be? So a candidate a lot of us weren't talking about yesterday ends up mattering a surprising amount here now that he's fourth place in the ballot. Right. And we don't even know where he was when results rolled in yesterday. We don't know if this was something he was expecting. Okay. Moving further down the ballot is the governor's race. How did things shake out there? Incumbent Governor Mike Dunleavy, a Republican, had a really strong showing last night. He has more than 40 percent of the vote. He is leading challengers, former Governor Bill Walker, who's running as an independent, and Democrat Les Guerra. Both of those candidates have around 20 percent of the vote. In fourth place is Republican Charlie Pierce. There's been an assumption that ranked choice voting would help out some of Dunleavy's more moderate challengers, uh, particularly former Governor Bill Walker, who's an independent. How does that bear out in the results here? That could still happen. Walker and Guerra, again, both have around 20 percent of the vote. But with ranked choice voting, one of them could emerge as the winner if they work together leading into November and really capitalize on those second place votes. So we're still very much seeing candidates negotiating how the heck they're supposed to campaign under this new system. Yes. And one thing we'll see across the board is campaigns looking at the results that are still coming in, parsing these results over the next couple weeks and drawing a lot of conclusions that they will use to develop their strategies moving towards November. I also want to talk about one last race, or really 59 races, because all but one of the seats in the Alaska State House and the Senate are up for re-election this year. Um, I don't think we can get into the particulars of any single one of those races today, but are there any big picture takeaways for voters coming out of yesterday's results? Yes. Alaska's new voting system also means that we have nonpartisan primaries and the top four vote getters in each of those races advance. So in all but one of these legislative races, there were four or fewer candidates, which means that really we can look at most of these races just as a very convenient poll and see where the voters stand on some of these races. And some of these races are really tight and they could determine 
whether or not we get a bipartisan coalition in either the state House or state Senate. And those types of coalitions versus a possible Republican majority could determine a lot of the type of legislation we see next year, including whether or not we get to keep ranked choice voting or if lawmakers decide to pass a law that would essentially repeal it after only one go around. Wow. So races that people are paying a little less attention to, but also critically important here. Yes, very much so. Let's forget about the candidates for a second and just talk about this new ranked choice voting system. Uh, You and some other ADN reporters spent time talking to voters in Anchorage yesterday. What were people saying about it? Yeah, what surprised me was how many voters just thought this was very intuitive. They went in, they saw one side of the ballot was a ranked choice election, the other side was pick one primaries, and it was pretty straightforward. The poll workers did a good job explaining that. The Division of Elections designed a ballot that was pretty easy to use. So as long as voters weren't trying to game the system and develop some kind of strategy that they thought would benefit one candidate or another, they really reported that ranked choice voting was maybe more intuitive than they expected. Let's talk a little bit about that gaming the system. I mean, there was so much chatter, at least in my social circles, ahead of the election on whether or not this new system was confusing or not. And people were thinking about strategies and like four-dimensional chess and how to rank candidates and or leave them off entirely. Uh, did you hear much of that from voters when you were talking to them? Yeah, I think that for Voters that were trying to strategize and think about voting in a strategic way rather than just picking the candidates that they thought aligned with their values, this could end up being extremely confusing and very difficult to wrap your mind around it. Ranked choice voting is a system that supporters have long said is designed to make voters vote their conscience. And when voters try to game the system and rather than voting their conscience, try to think about their strategy, think about voting in such a way that will benefit one side of the political map and be detrimental to the other, that's when it gets really confusing and really hard to wrap your mind around. All right. Well, before I let you go to get back to reporting, what are the big things that you are going to be paying attention to with these campaigns in the coming weeks? Well, campaigns are really going to have to take a moment, take a breather as we wait for the results to be finalized at the end of this month. And then the question becomes, how do they take the data that they will gather from these results and apply it to their campaigning moving forward? So I think we'll see some shifts in how campaigns position themselves. And it'll be very interesting to see what they learn from Alaska's first ranked choice election and how they apply that to the coming November races. Last question. I'm pretty curious. What did you find most interesting coming out of yesterday's results? Really, given how new everything is, all of it was interesting to me. The fact that Murkowski emerged ahead of Shabaka, I think, says a lot about this state and the sway that Trump holds over Alaska voters. I think that Palin's strong showing is very interesting. She is obviously a polarizing figure, so it'll be pretty exciting to see what this means for her stock out there, both in Alaska and nationwide. And I think the fact that Alaska voters got out there and voted in 
pretty high numbers in this first ranked choice election is pretty exciting. And it'll be pretty interesting to see how they feel once the results are finalized. And once we have a sense of is ranked choice voting really something that will last long term in the state? Well, we will all be following it along with you. Thank you so much for being here today with us after a very long night. And see you next time. Thanks for having me. Thanks for listening to the ADN Politics Podcast. We'll have new episodes out every week. Please subscribe to the show in whichever podcast app you're listening to right now. Keep up with all our coverage on our website, ADN.com. You can also subscribe to ADN there, which is the best way to support our work, including this show. Thanks to our guest, reporter Irish Samuels. This episode was produced with help from Evan Phillips and ADN Zachariah Hughes. Our music is also by Evan Phillips. David Hewlin is our editor. And I'm your host, Elizabeth Harbaugh. See you next week. <laughs>